Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Allison Smith acts as the Community Engagement Specialist in the Volunteer and Family Support Department at Labonner Children's Hospital. After eight years with the hospital, she still feels lucky and grateful to have landed such a rewarding job after graduating from the, the University of Memphis with her master's degree in nonprofit administration. She resides in Oakland, Tennessee with her two dogs and spends her free time reading and watching true crime on Netflix. She also gives back to her community by volunteering at the Memphis Animal Shelter. We're thrilled to have Allison with us today. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're so glad to have you. Um, okay, so Allison, let's just jump in a little bit. We talked about how you're the community engagement specialist. Will you explain a little more what that means? Yes. And what that role kind of takes on at Labonner Children's Hospital. Yes, for sure. So we have a lot of different things coming from a lot of different directions a lot of the time. <laughs> so it's kind of a catch-all department in general. But specifically what I do as opposed to what the volunteer coordinator does is more with groups and our third-party nonprofits. So anytime we have a corporate group that reaches out to us about wanting to get involved, we can obviously send them a ton of different ways to get involved. It's a little different right now because of COVID, but we've still kind of pivoted and kept people involved, as you know. And then I also work with our third-party nonprofits. So obviously y'all, the Forrest Pence Fund, but also Big Heart Fund, Go Lucy Go Foundation, Spreading Sunshine, any kind of outside nonprofit that their goal is to benefit Labonner Children's Hospital and uh, any other nonprofit too. It doesn't have to be ones that are specifically for Labonner because um, other nonprofits like to work with us as well. Any church group or school group. I also do our volunteer program in the summer, which is kind of a half shadowing, half volunteering, immersive week of. Um, just getting these teens involved and letting them see the hospital, see different careers, and that way they could maybe make decisions based off of that for when they go to college or just in general for their career paths. Maybe they have always wanted to be a doctor, but then when they come, you know, we had a teen that had always wanted to be a surgeon. And then when she came to do the teen program, she decided she wanted to be a NICU nurse, like mm -hmm. just completely changed her entire career path based off of the teen program. Mm -hmm. So that's a really, really cool program. We haven't been able to have it, unfortunately, because of COVID. We did it virtually the first year. Which is okay, but it wasn't as fun. Um, but a lot of Zoom meetings and just departments kind of recording what they do and kind of what their day-to-day -day looks like and a little making little clips of them talking about their jobs. So still good, but not the same. Um, and then I also work with our family support programs. So our food pantries, our clothes closet, and then the Forest Pence Fund Comfort Cart that you guys have generously uh, taken over. Those are so important to the hospital because we just help so many different families and uh, we don't want them to have to think about any of that stuff while they're there. So main things that I do is corporate group volunteering, church group, any kind of group volunteering, really. I'll host 
uh, then the teen program, our third party nonprofits, and then our family support programs. And then really just whatever else comes my way. Yeah. Um, and then the, the groups, you know, in non-COVID times, there's lots of opportunities for them to get involved. But right now, everybody's been so great about, you know, just y'all still provide your dinners. You still provide your breakfast. We've obviously had to pivot. But we've had a lot of staff step up. You know, they kind of volunteer in the place of when we normally have volunteers come and pass out the food. Uh, the staff members have been passing out the food. So we still have groups mainly dropping off meals is the biggest thing we have people doing. But we also have people drop off snack bags. Y'all do your unit appreciation bags, which are amazing. Um, and then we also encourage people to do like toiletry bags and stuff. That way the social workers can kind of keep them in that clothes closet and they can just grab them as they need them. So we've pivoted um, and I've tried to be creative uh, during COVID. It's been hard, but we're, we're still going. We're still rocking and rolling as we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, we've worked with you, you know, for a really long time because um, your first role was more why don't you explain a little bit about the other role yes. within volunteer services that Hannah currently does. Explain a little bit about that within volunteer services as well. So we also have a role, the volunteer coordinator role. That's Hannah Raffatari. That's her current position. And that's the position I started out in when I first started working at Le Bonheur. Um, so she is over our individual volunteers. So we have regular weekly volunteers who come in and do one three-hour shift a week. Um, and we have tons of different roles for that. We have our baby huggers, which is obviously a fan favorite. And then we have our unit buddies, our creative arts volunteer, room and magic volunteer, our beverage cart volunteer. Um, whenever we're pre-COVID times, we would also have our comfort cart, you know, the Forest Spence mm -hmm. Fund comfort cart volunteers who would come every Wednesday and pass out toiletries to the families. Um, we have we normally have food pantry volunteers, closed closet volunteers, uh, emergency department volunteers. So those are our individual volunteers. She's also over our therapy dog program and our music therapy program. So anyone who comes in and does music therapy for the kids or does um, our therapy dog program for the kids, she also handles those. We actually work with Iris Orchestra, and they come in and do music therapy for the kids, particularly in the IMCU on the sixth floor. Um, because a lot of those kids are long-term and mm -hmm. a lot of them are bed-bound, as you know, um, and they really benefit from music therapy. And then the therapy dog program, um, that's anywhere, you know, we've kind of uh, scheduled it for specific floors at specific times, but right now we're unable to have any volunteers almost going on two years now, which is crazy to think about, but they have allowed some therapy dog teams to come to some staff meetings not any patients or any families, um, but they have been allowed to go to certain staff meetings because staff morale is just, I mean, they've mm -hmm. just been really trying to find ways to kind of keep staff's spirits high and keep them motivated and keep them in a good mood and kind of remember why we're doing what we're doing. But it's been hard for everybody and mm -hmm. everybody's really short staffed. And so they have let us have therapy dogs come in to kind of just help with that and just kind of help the mood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's mainly what Hannah does. All of our individual volunteers who come in weekly. And uh, she started a virtual volunteering program where we can take an iPad in with, with the patient. So she, she goes in, you know, all dressed up in the, the proper equipment to keep herself safe um, from COVID and just in general. It takes an iPad in and then we connect through our um, I can't remember what the system called, but it's not like Zoom where anybody could just like hack it or anything. It's, you know, when people do like telehealth, mm -hmm. um, 
so you can talk to your doctor in a safe, encrypted way. Mm-hmm. It's that. So we connect our volunteers with that on their iPad or computer or whatever. So that way we know it's still HIPAA compliant. You have to be a current volunteer to do it already. We don't train new people for it um, right now anyways. And then we just connect them. And so we have these virtual volunteer buckets that Hannah has one and then the volunteer has one at their house. Mm. And so they can play with Play-Doh at the same time, but not necessarily together. Mm -hmm. Or the volunteer can read them a book. So it's, it's definitely different, but... It still helps that patient to see people's faces and Mm -hmm. different people's faces, especially because everyone at the hospital is masked. And so it's important to see people who don't have masks on. You know, a lot of these patients, especially if they're young, they've never seen anyone's faces except for their parents Mm -hmm. because everybody has to be masked the whole time. Yeah. So we've started this virtual volunteering program, which is beneficial for a lot of different reasons. Right. Oh, I love that. So that's kind of how she's pivoted. So we, you know, we have our regular programs and then we have our like we call it COVID programs. (laughs) Like that's how we've kind of pivoted everything. Um. So those are the main roles. And then we have Karen, who's our lovely administrative assistant, and she just does any and everything we ask. She helps with everything. Um, she mainly stocks the food pantries up on the floors now, which is super helpful since we don't have a volunteer doing it. So we have a main food pantry in our office, um, and then we have food pantries set up on every single floor so families can just have access to food anytime they want. Um you know, if they get in at midnight and they just need something to eat, they need a snack, they need some macaroni. It's not, you know, a gourmet meal, but it's something that's there and it's hot and it's easy and it's just something that they can eat and get it off their mind. And that way they can focus on their child and they don't have to worry about where they're going to get food from. So mm-hmm. she helps with just everything. We get tons of packages now. You know, our our load of just getting packages and getting snack bags and getting clothes and just all of that stuff has definitely increased because that's really, you know, that's that's the option that people have right now. When, the, when they call me and say they want to help, I'm like, well, you can make us some snack bags. You can make us some toiletry bags. Um, so the load of that has increased. Mm-hmm. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's we're lucky to still all be there. We're lucky to all still be able to help families in that way. So, yeah, yeah. And we depend, I mean, the Forcements Fund depends so much on your team and your office because of not being able to be, you know, front line up there, seeing the patients, seeing the families. You know, we really depend on you all so much as far as, our breakfast, our dinners, our, you know, you're our drop off as far as, you know, we have still continued to do the 100 unit appreciation bags every month. You know, we drop it off with you and you yes. make sure it's distributed, the snack bags, the comfort cart, the um, care bags. Yes. I mean, y'all have been such a great place for us to know that we've got, you know, this group of people in our corner that we can mm-hmm. easily say, hey, you know, there's a family that needs a care bag or, yes. you know, we also store with y'all meal vouchers and gas cards. And so we can also call you and say, hey, we got a call. This family's really struggling. We're in past pre-COVID. Yeah. I would just go up there myself mm-hmm. and, and give so many of those things. And so it's we're so, so thankful beneficial that y'all still do that because a lot of people, I, I mean, as y'all, as everybody knows, COVID was an opportunity, I think, for everything to kind of slow down. So then 
people were making major life changes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people changed jobs. A lot of people moved cities. And so there was a lot of stuff that stopped just Mm -hmm. because everybody made major life changes. And Forcement's Fund has always been there and it's never stopped. It's always been consistent. And that's a large reason why we're still able to do a lot of things that we do. I actually had a family last week. I was in the cafeteria and I just ran over there to get a Diet Coke, but I saw this couple looking kind of lost and they, it's like they were waiting on someone to make eye contact with them. And so I, you know, I looked at them and, and she was like, can I ask you a question? And, um, she was obviously kind of displaying some food insecurities and she had the menu for her, her child. And obviously the children, they can order food, you know, get, they get the dining on hall, dining on call. And, uh, she said, this is how we order food for, you know, our son. And I was like, yes, you don't even have to leave your room. You know, you didn't have to come down here. And she was like, well, how do we get food? And I was like, well, this is, this is our cafeteria. You know, you can get whatever you want. And she was like, but we have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I could just tell, you know, mm-hmm. she wouldn't like flat out say anything. So I was like, I can, I can get you some stuff. I can get you some meal vouchers. You know, I can mm-hmm. tell you about our food pantries. I can tell you about our concierge program. Um, and so they were like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. so I brought them some meal vouchers and then I told them about our food pantries on the floors. And then we had, and I forgot to mention that earlier. One of the biggest things that Karen did, um, our administrative assistant, she created our concierge program. And so basically we just have these order forms now with all of the toiletries from the Forestman's Foam Comfort Mm -hmm. Cart on there, um, where people can just check off what they need. We also have our items from our clothes closet on there. Um, and that way... It's literally just like an order form. So she, I gave her all the information. So she called me like 30 minutes later and she was like, we need a toothbrush. We need toothpaste. We need some 5T pajamas and kind of just told me what they need. And it's just so it's the, the hospital staff knows all of that stuff is there obviously, but they get so wrapped up in the healthcare, which Mm -hmm. obviously, Mm -hmm. um, but that's why we have social workers in place and child life specialists and then our department, obviously, to just remind people, this is why we're here. This is what we have. These are the services we can provide. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just so glad I ran into her that mm-hmm. day because then I could take her meal vouchers and toiletries and, and that probably helped them out a whole lot that day. Yeah, tremendously. You know, so um, so it's just it's been so beneficial to still have those resources from the uh, Forest Mints Fund. To be able to just continue these programs has been great. Yeah. And just an encouragement, you know, to anyone that's listening that either you yourself have a child that's in any children's hospital. Um, obviously, we're speaking to Labonner, but you yourself have a child or you have a friend who has a child or a grandchild or whatever else. We encourage you to help them, help the parents, or if you're the caregiver yourself, to look into what resources are available. And a great place is to, um, you know, we've, we've, throughout interviewed different people. We've interviewed child life and we've interviewed hospitalists and we've interviewed social work. And so we're one of our goals is to be able to make sure that our listeners are aware of the resources that are available because mm-hmm. our hope and our desire is we, the Forrest Fund, we can't change the situation that you're in. We can't change that your child is sick or your friend's child is sick or, you know, whatever capacity. But what we hope to do is lessen the struggles and the brunt of just the difficulty of it all. And one of those is just encourage you. We talk about all the time to be an advocate Mm -hmm. and even being an advocate is also reaching out and finding out what resources are available. And at least at Le Bonner Children's Hospital, 
we also know Monroe Carroll and Erlanger that there are resources available and you just have to ask and you have to be vulnerable and say, Hey, I'm really, you know, I'm wondering if you have a volunteer services, do you have child life? Do you have social work? Do you have these things? And then to even be able to reach out and say, what kind of, you know, things can you help me with? And I think like you said, one, the struggle of hospitals often is, especially now is that they are often short staffed. Um, and that they also are, can be so focused on the healthcare, which is the number one, you know, obviously we don't want to take that away, but that some of the other things can be lost in transition and maybe forgotten to say, oh, we, we have a food pantry or we have a clothes closet or we have a comfort card or we have this, you know, and so just be willing to say to your social work, especially child life, whoever, you know, there are some things that I need. How can I get those? And people get so nervous and, and it's it's probably a pride thing and mm-hmm. just kind of like, oh, I don't want to bother them with that. They're busy. Um, but a lot of hospitals are moving more towards the patient and family centered care mm-hmm. aspect of healthcare, care. And, mm-hmm. and that is how they need to approach things. That's how they should approach things. Um, so there's. I feel like there's been lots of changes in the last, you know, decade or the For last sure. five years For sure. of just taking care of the family as a whole rather mm-hmm. than just focusing on the patient at hand. And so, it, like you said, you never know until you ask. It's just kind of getting up the courage to ask if someone hasn't just offered it to you right there. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff is in the welcome packet as well. But again, another thing that's just not top of mind for parents, like, so, you know, I don't care about that welcome packet. Like I need yeah. to focus on what's okay? going on. Yeah. 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 So what's going um, on here? when I think back just, you know, even to our situation, staying there almost two months and now mind you, you know, 14, 15 years ago, things were different. It wasn't quite as patient family centered care. It wasn't quite as strong of volunteer services, child life, all of mm-hmm. those things. And that's been one of the joys of being able to interview. I feel like I have my hand, you know, my finger somewhat on the pulse of what's going on, but it's been just such a joy to interview and learn all the things, honestly, that are offered that I wasn't even aware of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was so focused on forest health and Mm -hmm. how he was doing and what was going on that I really didn't look into. I didn't, I did not utilize, especially child life. I did not utilize all that child life could have helped me Mm -hmm. with. Um, and you know, we were blessed in the way that if we put out, you know, to the world universe that we needed things, we had support, Mm -hmm. but we know that we're different. That's a huge part of why the fund was born. We are different in the way that we lived 15 minutes from the hospital. We had family in town. We had, we had friends, we had support group. So many of the families don't No, They're hours away. They're hours away or they don't have family or just whatever their situation is. Or they, they're working three different jobs or they have three other kids. I mean, just so many different scenarios for why they just can't, they can't just survive the day to day in a hospital. And they so often want to be like, oh, you know, don't worry about me. It doesn't matter if I've showered. Don't worry about me. It doesn't matter if I've had a meal. Like, especially for moms, you know, no no offense dads, but especially moms are really hard on themselves, you know, because they'll call and they'll, 
ask for stuff for everybody else. And it's like, okay, what do you need? Do yeah. you need a change of clothes? Do you need some time to go take a shower? And when, when we're in, under normal circumstances, we love to be able to just say, we can also have a volunteer come to your room. Yeah. So you could just go for a walk. Just yeah. go get some fresh air and just get out of that room for a little bit. Yeah. And I utilized y'all's, y'all's resources when my youngest was in the hospital. Um, it'll be nine years and she had RSV and was up on the infant toddler floor. And um, I really wanted to go see my boys. Um, the first time she was there for a week, I wouldn't leave her side because she was only breastfeeding. And she was pretty sick. And, and so I, I didn't leave pretty much the whole seven days. But then she came back a month later with non-RSV bronchiolitis looked just like it, but mm-hmm. came back and wasn't quite as sick. And by that point, we had actually transitioned her where she was breastfeeding and bottle. All okay. that to say, I knew my boys were at home struggling not seeing mom. And so I wanted to go see them. And they were doing a performance at church that all of the family wanted to go see. And so I remember I reached out to the volunteer services and said, is there anybody that can come help? And this sweet volunteer, totally gowned and gloved up mm-hmm. because of Maggie having this, you know, RSV-like yeah. thing, yeah. and held her, and held her for hours yeah. in yeah. the rocking chair. <laughs> yeah. To remember where I came back, she was the sweet volunteer. I was like, are you okay? She was like, yes, I'm totally fine. It was such a joy to just yeah. rock her and hug her, because Maggie was only two or three months old. Um, but she literally, I remember when she stood, I was like, your booty's numb, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She had, in essence... Like, I can tell your legs have I, fallen I asleep tell, and yes. everything. <laughs> but she, but it was such a joy to me, because Maggie was on a floor where it's not one-on-one nursing. It's not even two-on-one nursing. And I just wasn't super comfortable with leaving her for an extended period of time without anybody else. And so it was such a gift to me. And so since then, mentoring, you know, many years after that, that is something I really do encourage families of, yes, be here as much as you can. It's important for you to be involved in the decisions, it's important for you to be involved in knowing what's going on, but you also need breaks. Yeah. And your You're other children need you. Your day. spouse needs you. Your job needs yeah. you. And so utilize the services that are there. I mean, we've all got our fingers and toes and everything crossed that we're going to see the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID and that things hopefully one day can return back to a a new normal. None of us know what that's going to look like, but I just appreciate so much how much y'all have pivoted and been able to help. And just even in what we provide Mm -hmm. the four spins fund, obviously we have also pivoted a ton in the last two years. Um, and tried to figure out new ways to do things. And y'all have been such a crucial part of being able to help us figure out how to pivot. What does that look like? How are we going to do this? How are we still going to be able to provide meals and snack bags and all the things that we provide without being able to be up there? And so I'm so thankful. Um, Let's talk a little bit more specifically to you. What drew you to this role in the first place? So... I had, you know, I was a typical college student and had no clue what I want wanted to do. <laughs> um, but my um, 
you know, my family is very involved in healthcare. I have lots of doctors and nurses in my family, but I just didn't get the gene of like being good with science and math. And it just, it just never clicked for me. So I always wanted to work in healthcare, but I always felt constrained because I wasn't good at that stuff. So I just was like, I have no clue what I want to do because I was so closed minded and thinking, Oh, it's just doctor or nurse, doctor or nurse, doctor or nurse. Now, I obviously, know there's mi- like millions of different careers you can have in a hospital. Maybe not millions, maybe like thousands different kinds of careers you can have in a hospital without being a doctor or a nurse. And I'm so thankful I've learned that. Um, so when I was in uh, my un- getting my undergrad degree at University of Memphis, I still had no clue what I wanted to do. And I was looking over a list of internships for my senior year and Make-A-Wish was on there. And I was like, oh, nonprofits. And at the time, I was working for a plastic surgeon. So, like, very for-profit world. Mm-hmm. So, I luckily interviewed for the internship at Make-A-Wish. I got it. And I was an intern for the WISH coordinator there. And it just blew my mind away. Because, obviously, I knew nonprofits existed. But I was 18. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very just in my own world, whatever. And it just blew my mind because I was like, this is so different than working for a for-profit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not just working to make one person rich. Like, what he does is amazing and it's mm-hmm. great. But I just, I was like, really, I'm like working in front desk to just like, you know, for this, I want to do something that makes a difference. And I want to, if I could make a career out of it and get paid to do something that's also making a difference, how wonderful would that be? Mm -hmm. So then I started looking at master's programs and I found the MPA program at University of Memphis, which is a master's of public administration. And then you can have different legs. And my concentration was nonprofit administration. So as soon as I took my first class, I was like, this is it. Like it was like light bulb moment. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it never felt like class to me, like the school, the, the program was just, I just knew that's what I needed to do. And I was lucky enough to have several internships and graduate assistantships and things that just kind of helped build my resume basically in the nonprofit world. And then I became a volunteer at the FedEx Family House. And I just kind of applied to be a volunteer with Brittany Adams, who was the volunteer coordinator over there at the time. And uh, I just kind of did whatever she wanted me to do. I would help her enter stuff in Excel sheets. I would help her with their food pantry and their toiletries uh, closet. And then I got a receptionist position at the Methodist Hospice Residence on the weekends. So I was in grad school. I was a receptionist on the weekends at the Methodist Hospice Residence, and I was volunteering at the FedEx Family House during my last year of grad school. And then I did an internship with the uh, community development coordinator or director at the hospice residence. She was kind of like the fundraiser and I worked with the volunteer coordinator at the hospice residence as well. And just kind of, again, just kept building my resume, kept working for free, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Anything I could do to just get my name out there in that world and build my resume. So right, it was like two weeks after graduation. I emailed Brittany Adams with the FedEx Family House and I said, hey, I just graduated. I can have, I can pick up some more volunteer hours while I'm job hunting. So whatever you want me to do, like I'm free every single day. And I was just job hunting and applying for whatever job I could. And she was like, sure, that's great. But you know, we're hiring a volunteer coordinator at the hospital. Isn't that like what you went to school for? Isn't that what you want to do? And I was like, oh my gosh. 
And I like freaked out and I applied for the job that day, thankfully, because they only had it posted for one day. Wow. And so they, cause you know, they get tons of applicants yeah. and I emailed everybody that I had met over the years, especially with Methodist. And again, all that free work paid off uh-huh. because everybody that I emailed and told them I applied for this job at Lamonor, they all emailed Tim Flack, who was the director at the time. And he, I remember him telling me afterwards that he was like, I knew I had to bring you in for an interview because I got so many emails about you. And so I just got so lucky that I had put my name out there and really showed people how I could work and what kind of worker I was. And so they, uh, they interviewed me at Lamonor. They only interviewed two people. Somehow I got picked, you know, over her and got the job. And I was just like, so I think I got the job like four weeks after graduation, which was in a time that everybody was so unsure about their career and jobs and things like that. So I just remember thinking like everything lined up so perfectly. Like what if I wouldn't have emailed Brittany Adams that day? Because then I wouldn't have known the job was posted that day and I would have missed it because it was only posted for a day. And what if I hadn't met all those people at Methodist? And like it just kind of and then at that point I was technically an internal hire because I worked at the Methodist hospice residence Mm. um, just as a receptionist opening the door for people. (laughs) Like I literally just sat there and pressed a button all day. Yeah. But it was like everything lined up so perfectly um, for me to get the job. And I still feel so lucky that that happened. And I feel like I was just like right place, right time. Um, but you really have to put in the work and you have to know people. And it, I think it really helped that I knew all those people with Methodist. And it wasn't just like, oh, hey, can you email someone for me? Like they actually knew mm-hmm. the type of worker I was. And so mm-hmm. they could tell Tim, she's great. She did this for me. She did this project. So that makes a difference, too. And anytime I mentor students, whenever we have our teen program or whenever we have our our alternative break program, um, I tell them, I'm like, literally just do as much free work as you can get with. The, if you have a company or a hospital that you want to work for, do whatever you can for mm-hmm. them. Do volunteer work, do an internship, do a graduate assistantship with your school, do something to get your name just in that world and in that field. So I knew I wanted to work for a nonprofit hospital. So it's like, what can I do for nonprofit hospitals to Mm -hmm. make it work? And so my first step was to be a volunteer at the FedEx Family House. Mm -hmm. And then my second step was to get the receptionist position. So anything I could do to get my foot in the door and get my name out there. And then it just kind of fell into place. And I just feel, I still feel so lucky to just that it happened the way that it did. Well, you're a great, great fit as well. Um, I feel like you just, you fit the mold. Definitely. You know what you're doing. And I, I think it's great too. You know, you've seen both realms. I mean, you've gotten to now do both positions. Yes. Um, and you also have such a good rapport with those of us that are the third party, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are trying to come, come into the hospital. So that's really neat Thank to you. see how all that was kind yeah. of, um, laid out. How would you, um, what would you say if a caregiver, you know, said my, my child is sick and I'm in the hospital or my, I'm coming into the hospital or I've gotten bad news or, you know, I, I, found out that in the womb something's going on and we're going to spend some time at Le Bonner. What are some suggestions? What are some ways that you would say, these are some things that I would encourage you to do, or these are some steps I would encourage you to do, or even this is how I would encourage you to reach out and do. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you would encourage a caregiver to do 
and best support them in that way. Yeah. I definitely think just letting them know all of the services that are available because like we said early, not earlier, not only do we have the food pantry and the clothes closet and the comfort cart and all these family support programs that we have in place, we also have a lot of different people they can talk to. You know, you also double as a parent mentor. And so we can always connect a phone call with you. Again, not the same, but mm-hmm. uh, still something. Um, and then we can connect them with our social workers. We also have um, our FAP counselor who's our... Um, uh, just our counselor on staff at the hospital who can go and talk to families who is who are having a particularly hard time. But as you know, with the parent mentor program, uh, that is so different because it's parents who have been there before and they know what it feels like and they can actually say, I've been in your shoes mm-hmm. and this is what I did. This is what helped me. Or uh, maybe let's try this. Or why don't you talk through these feelings with me? Um, so I really think just the biggest thing to that I hope our parents know is just how many resources we have and how many things we have available to them. And especially right now, it's so important for us and the child life specialists and the social workers to be advocates for your program to say, we have access to gas cards. We have access to meal vouchers. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to tell us what you need and express these insecurities that you might have because we just want to take care of that mm-hmm. stuff. We want you to not have your mind on any of these stressors. You have enough to stress out about. Mm-hmm. So don't think about anything. Don't think about food, clothes, anything. Let's take care of that because we can and because we have the resources. And you just focus on getting your child well while you are staying in a good mental state. Mm-hmm. And so I think just letting people know all the resources we have available and just kind of reminding people that they can call certain people, they can Zoom with certain people uh, to just kind of help them through the process. And, uh, you know, we have amazing doctors and nurses, but again, like we talked about, they're so focused on healthcare and getting the child better as they should. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we we love when they're great advocates for us to tell the the families about our programs, about the the Forestments Fund, the Family Resource Center, about everything that we have available. That just makes a huge difference, I think, in the entire hospital stay. And Mm -hmm. it makes your stay feel more uh, just like less of a burden, you know, and it's just all of it combined with the FedEx Family House, the Family Resource Centers, everything that we have. Um, and, you know, something that's particularly super helpful is like the sibling playroom, which mm-hmm. obviously we can't have right now, but just everything like that, it just makes such a difference in their overall stay. And yeah. I just, I just, I just know in my heart how much stress that alleviates off of our families. Yeah. So, so much even just a connection. You yeah. really are that kind of guiding force to be able to say to a caregiver, hey, reach out to me, reach out to volunteer services, reach out, you know, reach out to your nurse mm-hmm. to even say, hey, what are some things to where maybe the nurse will reach out? But to then you be able to be the one to point them in the right direction. Right. And right. if you don't have the answer, you'll find it. Oh yeah, we can definitely find it. (laughs) Y'all will figure it out. I mean, if y'all don't have the, this is what we do, y'all also are such a good resource to then figure out, well, this is what we need to do, or this is where we need to go, or let's call someone or let's find someone. Um, Because I think so much when you're in the hospital, at least for me, I didn't feel like my brain functioned at the same way it would have if I had not had a sick kid, whether that was because I had lack of sleep, the stress 
and the worry and the fear that occupied so much of my brain that then in turn, the things that typically come a little more easily to me, you know, making decisions, uh, what to eat, what to, you know, when should I, when should I, should I call the doctor about myself? I feel like something's maybe a little off with me. Those decisions were really hard for me to make because I was so focused on Forrest and his health and well-being that those typically in a non-stressful trauma-induced time in my life, I can make those decisions. But in that, it was so hard for me to make. And so it was such a blessing to me if somebody would come in and say, hey, this is what we're going to provide for you. This is what we're going to do for you. Or this is what you need to do. Even the nurses, when they looked at me and said, hey, you need to take a break. Yeah. You need to go home and sleep a little bit. It's almost like a situation when you have a friend that is in your life, that is in the hospital or going through something serious, and you keep asking, what Mm -hmm. do you need? What do you need? And they keep saying, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. But it's the friends that just do yeah and just say I hey I dropped off dinner on your porch mm-hmm. or dinner's coming at 6 30 mm-hmm. or um, I have a cleaner coming to your house at one o'clock on Friday yeah just do it like just do and that's what I feel like we do it's almost like that family wouldn't come out and ask me yeah so I just did it I just offered it to them and I just said I'm going to bring you this meal voucher I'm going to bring you this concierge and I don't give them a choice because yeah. given the choice a lot of family oh we're fine we're yeah. fine and it's they're not you know and so it's it's those friends we can call ourselves friends that just do Uh um and kind of force it upon them because we know what they need and they just don't always ask for it and yeah and you know so we just have to do um and that's just the best the best thing we can we can provide for them okay so one last question um if it is a listener who wants to get involved and again we kind of have two different you know um Two different scenarios yeah. now. We have the COVID scenario yeah. and we have the non-COVID scenario. But we have a listener. Yes. They're like, oh, I really, I've always, kind of as you were saying before, I've always longed to be involved in some way in the hospital. I think that would be a great role for me to volunteer or to learn more. What should they do? What steps should they do to learn more about volunteering at Labonte Children's Hospital or any hospital? Yeah. So right now, the the best thing to do is just reach out to the volunteer services department. So for us, we do have some stuff up on our website, which is just labonner.org forward slash volunteer. Or you can email lbvolunteers at labonner.org and uh, ask us for, we have a list of opportunities mm-hmm. that are basically like service projects that are available to the community right now that are COVID friendly. Mm-hmm. Um And that is anywhere from making snack bags, dropping off dinners, or just giving a donation of toys, toiletries, Mm -hmm. food. Or we also have an option where you can record a message to our patients. Obviously, a lot of people are, we want to come in. We want to see the patients. We want to make them feel better. We want to put a smile on their face. We obviously can't have that right now. So we have had people... Um, if they have a special talent, maybe they can play guitar Wow! where yeah. they like play a song on video and record themselves or they do a craft on video and show kids how to, you know, or maybe they like show them how to draw a puppy dog, you know, like mm, simple things like that. that. Yeah. They can record themselves and upload it to this site called WeTransfer. And that's all all the information's available on the PDF that I can send out if anybody's interested. And then we broadcast it up to 
the children's rooms because that we have that channel eight. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a, a channel eight at the hospital where we can broadcast anything we'd like onto the TVs in the child's room and we can play these little videos. And like around Christmas, we had lots of people submit like Christmas Carol videos mm-hmm. and then we can play those or anything that's going on in the hospital that we can kind of put on for the kids and, and show up there. So that's an option as well. If anybody has any videos they want to submit, uh, to be played in the, in the children's room. Um, so different options like that. Lots of things that involve kind of service projects off campus and then just dropping off. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then obviously we have, you know, the, the availability for the Forest Spence Fund too. All the stuff that y'all have available mm-hmm. that you want, that you need donors to send in or donors to do or volunteers to do off campus as well. So uh, lots of different opportunities. I would just say reach out to uh, the volunteer services department at your local hospital. And then specifically, if you're interested in us, go to our website or email us and let me send you that PDF. Yeah. Yeah. And even reaching out to say, Hey, when hopefully things change, we have a list. We have a waiting list of people who, if you want to become a baby hugger, if you want to become a unit buddy or emergency department volunteer, however you want to get involved in whatever capacity, we just have a list of people and that, and that's all we can do right now. You know, we're just waiting on, uh, it's kind of like, as soon as we take steps towards talking about having volunteers come back, then the numbers, the numbers rise. Um, and then it knocks us back down a few pegs. So the decision's not up to us. If it was up to us, we'd have volunteers. Right. Volunteers would have never left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're just doing what we can to keep everybody safe and just trying to listen to infection control and listening to listening to our administration that uh, when they tell us that this is what's best right now. Right. Um, Safety first. Yeah. So we're just waiting. And um, if, you know, when it is time, new volunteers and I know y'all have your specific, but every hospital has. It is not one of those things where somebody can just call and say, I want to be a volunteer. And then they walk in the next day and get to go baby hug. It's a lengthy process. So just real quickly go through what that does look like, just so we can make sure people are aware. It is obviously, again, the most important thing is that we're protecting and keeping the patients and the family safe. HIPAA is so huge, um, so important. So just run through that real quick so people can also know what they are getting into to, you know, when and if we reopen or able to have volunteers. And I think it's important to know this process for when and if you do have a volunteer come in and sit with your baby. It's important to know how our volunteers are trained mm-hmm. so you can be trusting of them. Right. Our volunteers basically go through the same onboarding process as staff. So you have to do an online application. You have to submit your shot records. You have to submit three letters of recommendation. You have to get a background check run on you. You also have to go through an interview with our volunteer coordinator and she really gets to know you and then places you where she thinks you'd be best in the hospital. Obviously your input as far as what position you want to do is taken into account, but we also have our input. You know, sometimes we have 18 year olds coming in, like, I want to be a baby hugger in the ICU. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you've never babysat before. You don't have any experience with kids. Let's start you out in more of a group kind of setting, maybe in the emergency department, like in the waiting areas with staff, mm-hmm. I mean, with siblings. Um, and then we could kind of upgrade you uh, as, as time goes on. So we, we work with people um, based off their experience level. 
Um, but yeah, you apply and then you get a specific training for your specific floor. And then you sometimes, depending on the department, you will shadow another volunteer to kind of just see for your first shift how things go. Um, and then there's just constant kind of continuous training. Uh, the medical stuff is probably the the most time consuming as far as getting extra shot records, getting a flu shot, getting a TB skin test, and obviously now getting a COVID shot. Um, but we do require flu shots during flu season. Um, so yeah, just staying on top of all of that. Yeah. And if you're a group that's interested, you would also do the same, reach out to you in your office. And then typically that can be a one time, Mm. come in and do a specific event or project that works closely with you. Right. And then, or it can be an ongoing, like we are, where we have a set date for breakfast dinners all the things that we do but sometimes it can be it can be a one-off a bank or a company has said we want to as a group do something and um, pre-covid they would reach out to you and that would be a project that you would come up with together Mm -hmm. because I know I've been involved in this project coming up and explaining the comfort cart or the food pantry or whatever else and saying what our role is with that and taking part in that Um, so that's something else that I think y'all offer and they don't have to go through as much stuff so we have a group HIPAA training that we put them through when they get to the hospital but if you're just doing kind of like a room to room passing out toiletries or passing out uh, donuts on the beverage cart, you know, and making coffee for the families and stuff. That's that's different because it's always just was a, a one off kind of thing where mm-hmm. they came in and got a training for that day. And then they're just going through the hospital room to room, but no, they're not at the bedside. Correct. So that's obviously different. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking for something that's less of a commitment um, and less uh, paperwork that you have to turn in, the group opportunities are definitely more right. up your alley. So that's an option as well. And I know just as a mom, as you said earlier, to ease those fears, I knew the amount of rigor more. I don't know if yeah. that's even the word we should say. Is that how you say it? I don't even know. <laughs> but like what the volunteers had to go through in order to be able to be that baby hugger. Yes. And so it it's left me with a lot of peace <laughs> yes. to know that I wasn't leaving my infant daughter mm-hmm. with this rando right. that, you know, had none, you know, I knew that all these things had been done. And so I had a lot of peace in knowing yeah. that. Not to mention that um, like 90% of our baby huggers are all like grandmas themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. and they might live out of town from their grandchildren. And they're just like, I just need my baby snuggles. Uh-huh. and. Uh, you know, so we just have so many amazing volunteers, but, and I do think that makes parents feel more comfortable that, you know, a seasoned person is coming in to hold their child, especially when it's a child in the ICU. And that makes a huge difference as well. So, yeah. Was there anything else you think that uh, our listeners or we should be aware of or know? I don't think so. We're just, we're so grateful for all the donors who donate to the hospital, but all of the donors that donate to the family, um, uh, support programs and through the fund, through the Forest Spence Fund, because those directly impact us. Um, and we know everything is directly coming to us. And so we're just, we're really thankful for y'all and really thankful for your donors. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having me too. Yeah, thanks, thanks for spending time with us and letting us hear more. I know I learned stuff. Um, one of my favorite parts of this is um, being able to ask questions and 
David, my husband, has always jokingly said that I, you know, can sometimes be intimidating by how many questions I like to ask because <laughs> I like to know people's stories. And this gives me the platform that I get to ask yeah. them and, and learn more. But um, I've learned a lot, too. And I feel like that allows me to be a better parent mentor mm-hmm. and a better executive director to know how I can help better meet the needs and how we can help families and, um, you know, hopefully make, again, we can't ever take away any of the medical side of things that's going on. Um, But I say all the time, you know, we can get in the cage with Mm -hmm. the families and we can help hopefully lessen the stress and the, and the fear by just being in the cage and saying, here's some things that hopefully can make this a little bit easier. And I think that's what your team and your department are doing is trying to lessen the burden that's happening. Um, So thank you for everything that y'all do. Thank you for you and Karen and Hannah, especially. And um, we're so thankful for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thankful for y'all too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, We want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.